The reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us this spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that we, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. before the song goes, eh? <laughs> um, my name's Isaac. I'm one of the assistant ministers here at our church. It's great to see so many people in the building, and I'm sure many people joining us still online as well. Uh, I wonder, how many of us here have a commute every day for your normal routines in your week? Uh, yeah, let's, let's be engaging. We had a quiz already today. How many people actually commute every day to get somewhere? Quite a few of us. That's something that really stru- struck me as I moved to Toongabbey. Uh, the amount of people who are on trains or buses every day. I wonder for you, uh, how do you wait? Uh, There's a lot of that time in your uh, day where you're just waiting for the next connection. Uh, Maybe you're just longing to get home, but I've noticed different kind of routines that people have. Some people like to be the social butterfly and chat to someone they know, someone else from church, and go and join the seat. Others just have the music in straight away and you can't get a word in. Uh, maybe uh, I used to have a routine when I used to have a, an hour-long commute every day where I would strap my bag to my leg, I would put my earphones in with an alarm for one hour from, from then, uh, I'd put my blindfold over my face and I would go to sleep every afternoon. <laughs> and no one ever took my bag and had the alarm go off and it, was, it worked. <laughs> so I wonder, how do you wait? Because uh, this passage is all about waiting for our home, our heavenly home, something far more significant than just the next connection or to get home from the day of work. And in this passage, there's all this talk about a dwelling, about a tent or about a place. You might be wondering, what is this actually talking about? You know, is it about buildings or is it about the afterlife? What exactly is it talking about? 
And I think verse 6 really helps us. So hopefully you've got the passage there open uh, to follow along. Uh, verse 6, it tells us here, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So we see there, this idea of home is being linked to the body. This passage, it's primarily talking about our bodies in the afterlife, our bodies in the age to come. In verse 1, it tells us our bodies are tense. Not T-E-N-S-E, but T-E-N-T-S. Our bodies are tense. See, Paul, he was a tent maker. He was a leather worker. He knew that tents don't last, that they need repair, that they're not permanent. They'll break and fall apart. And it's just like our bodies. They're temporary. And for you, this might actually strike a nerve, as I say, that our bodies are tense. See, we're in this culture which kind of idealizes the body, which uh, calls it a beautiful thing, which uh, really elevates the body, its function and its achievements. You can watch, you can go on YouTube rabbit holes just to see what kind of things people can do with their bodies, how incredible people can be. So often Aussies like to see their own bodies, I think more like temples than tents, a bit more like 1 Corinthians 6 than 2 Corinthians 5. See, being told that this thing which we've carried around for our entire lives, well, that we've been devoted to and that we've cared for, that this hunk of flesh is a tent, might be a bit challenging for you to hear. And I've been camping a few times where my tent has completely failed me. Uh, there's some embarrassing photos. Here we go. This was my early 20s, long time ago. That was our setup. I've got like a, a strap there that's trying to act as a guy rope. I didn't have enough... Our poles, me and a few friends just went along and we mainly had swags to sleep under and someone had a tarp and that was what we had and we were up against a storm, a 60k uh, so, uh, winds that came up and it just got totally ripped apart. We were kind of in our swags getting totally drenched. We didn't get much sleep at all that entire night. We even had some people have pity on us and come and bring us some pegs and try to help us out <laughs> from their caravans. So yeah, that was lots of fun. So needless to say, we didn't get much sleep that night. And I think Paul uses this analogy because as we think of permanence, as we think of security, we don't think of tents. We don't think of these flimsy structures. I wonder if you've spent a night in a tent like that where you've been drenched or you've heard the wind gusting. Maybe you've wondered if there's a tree somewhere close that might just fall down near you. You've kind of had these anxious thoughts keeping you up at night. We all know that feeling of just wanting to have security for the night, <laughs> wanting to get away and be warm. Even if it's an old building, even if it's this rustic old like hut or shed, we want something to be warm in that won't collapse. It's built to be permanent. Uh, I've got some other photos here of a different hike I've been on, just some random photos from my journeys today. Uh, this is in Tasmania. They're kind of dotted along these trails. And they're there, I think, many uh, hikers have used them to survive. Uh, these little huts that aren't too impressive, they're pretty old and kind of falling down sometimes, but they're permanent. They're much better than a tent that in a blizzard or as snow comes down, you'll be very glad to see that hut on the horizon. See, sometimes our tents, they're shown for what they are. I've got another photo here of one of my tents that's just totally <laughs> ruined. This was recently, actually. The same place as the other place, so I really should have learnt, but 
There you go. Uh, I've now thrown that one in the bin. So on the lookout for another tent if you've got any ideas. So this is the case with tents. And it's just the same with our bodies, isn't it? Uh, you might be here today very acutely realising that. Some of the, um, the problems, the, the brokenness of our bodies. See, bodies are marvellous parts of God's creation. And it's right for us to care for them, to be devoted to them. But our bodies have felt the impact of the fall on, of humanity, haven't they? We've experienced that feeling of being frustrated by this flesh that we're in. And there's a Christian theologian, uh, Augustine, who wrote really helpfully about this idea. Because in our passage, the word burdened come up, came up. I wonder if you noticed that. And here's what he writes there about that word burdened and the body. Uh, the burdensomeness is not the nature and substance of the body, but its corruption. We don't desire to be deprived of the body, but to be clothed with its immortality. So there's nothing wrong with a physical nature, with the substance that we're in, but it's the corruption with which we're in from the fall of humanity. And it's absolutely devastating that our bodies don't last. There are all kinds of things that can trip us up from time to time, a new muscle that can hurt us or a new injury, more and more pain that we experience, or the pain of having a mind that just doesn't work as we wish it did. This tent of ours can frustrate us to the point where we find ourselves sighing and hoping for more. Our bodies are both devastating at times and amazing instruments of God. They're incredible parts of his creation that we marvel at, but we do long for more, don't we? And this passage holds out wonderful hope to each of us, that there is more. There's a body fit for eternity without any of the frustrations that our current bodies have. In verse 4, it says that we're burdened that our bodies might be clothed. So we long to put on the heavenly dwelling. In fact, we're taught that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. See, all that dies and that breaks and all that, all that will decay in our bodies, that it will somehow be swallowed up and gulped entirely. That it will be covered with immortal flesh. We have this victory in Christ, a guarantee that we will not waste away, that we will have a body that will last. What a victory we have in Jesus and a hope to look forward to. See, for those who follow Jesus... They'll enjoy this physical existence in heaven with a body that will actually last, transformed and glorious. Now, as you gaze through this passage, verse 3, it's a bit of a tricky one. Uh, it took me a while to get my head around it. There's quite a bit written about that verse there. Uh, I won't step you through all of the different options. I'd love to talk to you after the service, as always, about that. But I think it is referring to there, it says the word it. And I think when it says in verse 3, it, it's referring to our heavenly dwellings, the new eternal body, that by putting on it, we might not be found naked, is what it says. So it's clear in this verse that being found naked is somehow a negative thing. It's not what we want to be. And based on the context of this passage that we've read, it's all about the physical nature, it gets you thinking about what does it mean to be found naked? And I think in one way, it means that we'll not be found without flesh 
or without a body in the eternal age to come. It's like this encouragement from Paul that, look, you guys are worrying about what's happening in the future. It's okay. You will have a body. You don't have to stress about what kind of state you'll be in when you die. But also, as we read this verse, I wonder if your mind went to another time where God found some people, Starkers, naked. Think about it. It's not like so much of a funny story, but more of a dark story of Adam and Eve in the garden. That they are found naked before God after they had rebelled against Him. So this phrase, it's being used by Paul to cast our minds back to that rebellion, that sin. But we're told that we will not be found naked. We're not like that. We'll be clothed in this new physicality, in this new way before God. We have no reason to fear or be afraid like Adam and Eve did. No shame, for the righteousness of Christ covers us. Uh, On to our second point there about living by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. At verse 6 and 7, you can see it there. There's There's this explanation for how someone can have this certainty for eternity. It says, We are always of good courage, or we are always confident. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith, it's not really this uniquely religious word. Every one of us uses a great deal of faith in our particular worldview which we might hold. We all need to trust sources of knowledge and we all hear statements all the time of what somebody thinks is true that's being mediated to us and we have to come up with our, for ourselves whether we trust this person or this source of knowledge. We have to weigh for ourselves which ones we're most convinced by. We use faith all the time. Uh, Many Aussies, they live simply by um, trusting just what they can see and touch and feel. But they also extend a great amount of faith to different mediators, different teachers, different people who explain the things that we feel and touch and experience. See, we all use faith for all kinds of things. Yet just a couple of verses before our passage today, Paul teaches us, in verse 17, the things that are seen are transient, but, the, but things that are unseen are eternal. See, there is great reward in trusting what we read here in the Bible. See, while some of the claims may seem far-fetched, you know, talking about an eternal body that won't ever decay or rot, it is good and it is true. See, they speak of an eternal reality that we can only comprehend through faith. I mean, how else could we come to understand something just so out of this world? We need it to be revealed to us. And it has, plainly, by Jesus as he came and clearly spoke to us. And this passage, it clearly leads us to Jesus also by claiming that it's better to be with him than to be in our own flesh. It's better to be with Jesus than in our own bodies. In verse 8, Paul, he just casually, he confidently asserts that We'd rather be away from this world which we know and be at home with the Lord. So as we walk by faith, God loves to give us confidence in this walk as well. He assures us by His Spirit within us that it is a good path to walk. Uh, Verse 2, we're told that part of how we know that such a heavenly 
glory is to come is that we groan, that groanings are used to assure us. We sigh and dream of that world to come face to face with Jesus. See, with the eyes of faith, we're able to perceive when we groan in our mortal bodies that that's actually a sighing of the Spirit within us, longing for that age to come. And For those of us here who trust in Jesus, there's great confidence for where we'll go after we die and that we'll have a, a body that is fit for the place it will be. The Christian life involves this stepping out of faith, yes, but God, he also delights in convincing us that he is faithful, in assuring us that he is faithful. And for you, if, if all this stuff is just fairly new for you, this idea of thinking about the age to come and what bodies will be in, I'd love to encourage you to keep thinking about what happens after we die. And our desire here at TAC is that more and more people would hear this incredible news, this news of hope and renewal in Jesus And please just sing out after the service to someone that you're sitting with. That'd be great to start a conversation there. As we think today about living by faith, we're particularly challenged that to think, sorry, we're particularly challenged to think if we'd rather be with Christ or here in this world. That was a real challenge for me personally as I look through this passage. We're challenged to consider how tightly we hold on to the things of this world. How glad we are to be away from this current existence and be with God. See, this world is just a temporary pit stop, really. It's like a quick stop, you know, at Redfern Station after work that you make. You know, we're all waiting at the platform and it's not really the place that you want to be, right? It's not where dreams are made at Redfern Station. (laughs) You don't start picturing a life, what you're going to do in the years to come... And you probably end up just distracting yourself on your phone or reading a book or doing something else. And yet it's good at times, I think, to be quiet, to sit and to think about what's to come. You know, on that trip to think about who's at home, people you want to see or the comfort of a home or just things you want to do in that comfortable space. It's good sometimes to be off the phone and just be excited about the destination. I wonder if you've had those moments as you're waiting at the train stop. Uh, This world and our bodies are a blink of an eye. And I hope that we would also long and just stop in the distractions of everyday life and consider the destination to come. So as we consider this idea of home, uh, which place has our loyalty? Do we consider ourselves as citizens here on earth primarily or of heaven? How often do we actually find ourselves dreaming about that life to come or praying that Jesus might come back. Are our lives so full of distractions and so full of good stuff and things to keep us busy? Is our life so full of comfort that maybe we have lost sight of the true home that awaits us? Well, Mission March, it's a wonderful kind of jolt in our year to be reminded that we have a heavenly home fit for us. And we heard today, Sam and Emily uh, Loa Ferreira. How encouraging is that? People who are willing, uh, particularly Emily, to leave her comfortable space. Uh, She was a member of our church for so long and so loved by many here. That willingness to 
leave this home for another to share the news of Christ to others. And I think they're a great and godly example there of people who see their heavenly home as their primary citizenship. They're godly examples to us of that faithful view of what home means for them. I hope we might be encouraged by them as well. Uh, this whole month by all of our different shows that we support. Uh, I think there's something helpful for us to consider here that we can... Um, I've, got a, I've got a slide that will come up here of uh, something that uh, Don Carson has put together that helps us to understand this idea that we're thinking about today of this age to come and the age here. Uh, the word there is over-realized or under-realized. Uh, I'll just read it out and try to explain it for us today. It says... You think that you have more of a blessings from the future now than you actually do. So some people can live in this life and think that they're in heaven. They've made it. And see this place as their primary dwelling, which is something that we want to avoid, right? But you can also have an under-realized view of all of these um, precious ideas where it says you really don't appreciate what you have in your possession. Maybe somebody who just thinks the body isn't even good for this world or that it's inherently evil. Or somebody who doesn't quite realise the blessings that we now have in Christ. You could have an under-realised view of this world. So we kind of want to sit in the middle of those, right? And to think hard about where we stand. Okay, we'll move on to our last point for today, that we are free to please Jesus. Uh, We see that in verse 9, if you're following along. Uh, Paul, he describes how eager uh, we are to be to please Jesus, how we're to labor and strive for him, and that there's an eternity with Christ that is to come. And that, that shifts our focus in our life now. It really changes how we live. We want to please Jesus, and yet we know that we'll fail at it, right? We know that we often turn our back on God. We often live just how we please And so that's why in this passage, twice, Paul makes it really clear that we are confident, that we have good courage in our standing before God. He wants to assure us, as those who hope in Christ, that we remain friends with God by the finished work of Jesus. And the last verse in the chapter previous, it ends with um, a saying that we should not lose heart. See, Paul, he's really concerned that his hearers and us as well, that we don't lose heart, that we are confident in our standing before God. This passage gives us a great assurance that we have a home to go to when our days come to an end. And in this state of assurance about our future, that Paul actually reminds us that it still means that it changes our present everyday life. See, an eternity with Christ shifts our focus to Christ now. I find this fascinating in verse 9 there, that all along he's been talking about this comparison of heaven and this present age, of a heavenly body and our physical bodies. And then he says, well, actually it doesn't really matter. Whether at home or away, what really matters is pleasing Jesus. He just relativizes this whole thing. He says what really counts is pleasing Jesus. At the end of the day, we don't know exactly what kind of physical state we'll be in in heaven. We don't know all the answers. What matters is pleasing Christ. So are we drawn to please Jesus in our lives? 
captured by him. Maybe there was something today that captured you. There's lots of motivations for pleasing Jesus. And we'll start with a few that are, I think, from this passage here. So some of the motivations for pleasing Jesus. Well, we can do it out of a great thankfulness for what he's done in our lives, for the way that he's transformed us and that he will transform our bodies. That's a great motive, I think, for pleasing Jesus now. Through Jesus, we will be clothed with immortality. Through Jesus, we won't be found naked, but found righteous before God. Through Jesus, we've been given the Spirit in our hearts. We have so many reasons to want to please Jesus. And Paul, he provides us with one last reason. In verse 10, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So judgment is part of his motive for pleasing Christ. And we know from from other parts of God's word that this judgment, it's not talking about salvation. That that is sorted. We have salvation fully through the work of Christ. It's not through what we do or will do. Jesus, he's the only perfect one who has already died in our place. We we don't have to um, do anything for that kind of salvation. So this judgment, it's not talking about that. And it's already told us that we have a great confidence before God in our standing before Him. So even if we shank it, even if we stuff up and we don't follow God, that we can be assured. And yet, as we read here, there's a real accountability for our actions before God. Even as believers walking by faith, we will all be before God, accountable for our actions. And it's not a source of terror. I I think it's a source of humble reflection. This kind of passage is is wanting us to reflect how do we actually live. And I think these heavy words at the end of this chapter, that they're actually for our good. They're a gracious gift from God. As we start to reflect how we're living and try to align that with pleasing Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're told this. A godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So maybe today we've been grieved in some way or another. As we thought about this idea of home, we've realized that we've gotten pretty comfortable in our everyday life. We might be too attached to this world or too attached to our bodies to the point of worshipping them. And it's right and good to care for our bodies and to care um, for them. They're a good gift from God. But we can obsess about them, can't we? We can forget that they're just a tent. They're a pit stop while we wait for a fully furnished heavenly home. And my prayer is that this grief, it might lead us to repentance. As we long for a heavenly dwelling, as we long for that eternal body fit for the new age see the fact that god will judge our actions done in the body it's a heavy promise but it's also a right and a pleasing one i think see god cares about the injustice done in this world and he cares particularly in this verse about the injustice done to people's bodies those atrocious things that people do to their own bodies or to others that we will stand account before our Lord. And it changes how we're to live. It changes how we're to in, 
be involved with other people as well. And many on that day will be found naked before God, as Adam and Eve were in front of a fearful and a holy God. But that isn't the case for those who trust in Jesus. We're confident that our mortal bodies will be swallowed up by life and that we'll get to enjoy God in his presence forever. So I pray that we might be um, shaped by that vision. Let's pray now together. Dear Lord God Almighty, we confess that we have not always treated you as we ought. We've not always treated our bodies as we ought. Uh, We ask that you would help us to be wise about how we deal with our bodies. Uh, uh, Please help us to have a view of eternity that is wide and big. Help us to have a great hope in a new heavenly body and a time to come where we'll see you face to face. Lord, we pray that that might change our current lives, that we would live as those who want to please you. Please show us many motivations for pleasing Christ. And we thank you that through all of our endeavours and all of our aims, uh, that we uh, can still be confident before you as those who are righteous because of what Jesus has done. Uh, We thank you for this chance to meet like this today. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.